Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Before the Coats, a podcast where we talk with pre-med students, physicians, and others within the healthcare world to give you an insight to what life is like as a pre-health student and prepare you for a career in healthcare. And today we will be talking with uh, practicing physicians in the field and to learn about their experience, how they got to where they are. And I'm your host, Christine, part of the Culture of Medicine Committee in the UC Berkeley chapter of uh, the American Medical Student Association. As always, feel free to send in your questions in the Google form linked in the description or in our Instagram bio at Before the Coats podcast. So today we have Dr. Jenny Yu, Dr. Don Ng, and Dr. Kenny Mock. And so we're just going to go around and give a little introduction. So if Dr. Yu, if you would like to start. Hi, I'm Jenny Yu. I'm a podiatrist. Um, not pediatrician people get those like the... <laughs> A lot of people don't know what the difference is, but they're very different. So podiatrists, uh, I take care of everything from skin to bone, for the foot and the ankle, and soft tissue up to the knee. Um, I graduated Cal in 1992. That doesn't sound like a long time ago, but I guess that is now. But um, I was a psychology, well, I started out not knowing what to do, and we don't have time to talk about everything, but I graduated psychology major. Um, I was, uh, I got kind of involved in the um, AIDS education down in LA after I graduated college. And then I was in public health. I worked for LA County ST program. And then um, I went to, uh, I got my master's in public health and epidemiology at UCLA. So I, I was on that road in healthcare, which was a lot of, you know, a lot of fun. I did a lot of research, a lot of statistics. I worked, and then I came back up to the Bay Area dot com was happening I was a programmer and then I worked for Kaiser as a programmer so I was always in the healthcare arena um, and then I was I had an early midlife crisis um, I was working with surgeons on Kaiser Health Connect and I said this looks like so much fun and there's a school in Oakland I was living in Oakland and I went to podiatry school uh, now I'm in private practice um, there's less and less of us but I own my own practice. I practice in San Leandro. I do surgery, um, bunions, hammer toes, diabetic foot care. I do INDs, which means like when someone has an abscess, they go into the hospital, they're very sick. I have to open them up and drain the abscess. Um, I do ankle surgery. I do ankle scopes, a lot of sports medicine. Um, yeah, so uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's, I think as a Cal student, people don't really, know about podiatry. Um, it's a great profession. Um, I wish more people knew about it. And I'm glad I'm here to talk about it. Yeah, thank you. I'm actually, I didn't really know much about podiatry either. And I didn't realize that podiatrists yeah. did too much surgery. Um, so I'm really yeah. excited to learn more about that as we go through our podcast. Lots of surgery, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Ng, would you like to go next? Yeah, hi, I'm Don Ng. I'm a primary care physician, general internal medicine. Uh, I'm faculty at UCSF, a clinical professor of medicine, and I've been there since 1992. And part of my job is nowadays as one of the senior faculty is I, I do administrative works. I'm one of the medical directors that run you know, the clinic with about 80 residents and 40 other faculty. Um, and I was born and raised in San Francisco, Chinatown, and my first language is actually Toi Chinese slash Cantonese, and 
didn't learn English until I started uh, uh, kindergarten. Pretty much grew up in Chinatown and went to uh, Lowell High School, went to City College you know, for a couple of years and transferred to Berkeley in mechanical engineering because that's what I wanted to do. And after graduation, I worked as a mechanical engineer for a few uh, years, actually. But, you know, as I grew mature, I kind of recall growing up in Chinatown and poverty in, in, around Chinatown and uh, a lot of socioeconomic needs for you know, the residents of Chinatown who really don't have much means in terms of you know, uh, money, economics. And so I decided that, you know, I wanted to sort of give back to the community in some way. And it's very hard to do that as an engineer. And so I started to look at different uh, vocations, you know, nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, whatnot. And, but I still like science. And so I settled on, gee, maybe I'll uh, look into medicine, even though that was the last thing I wanted to look into. So I shadowed at uh, the San Francisco Health Center number four, which is on top of the Broadway Tunnel, which is in, in Chinatown. And I did that for two years. It was really uh, inspired by a very humble, yet uh, very honest uh, and very committed uh, physician, uh, Dr. Floyd Hewen. And so after that, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, go, to, I'll go into medicine. So I went to use, uh, no, sorry, Sarasota State to do my pre-med and then applied. And since I got rejected at UCSF, I got accepted as UC Davis. Went to UC Davis, did my residency at Highland Hospital, which is the county hospital in Oakland, which during the time uh, among us residents, we also call it the Oakland Knife and Gun Club, unfortunately, because that's where all the trauma went to. And it's a great residency, very com uh, committed to the uh, black community and the Asian community. Worked, and after that, I worked the Asian Health Services in Oakland Chinatown for two years. And then uh, 92, I uh, went to UCSF and became part of the faculty and been there since. Although uh, I did take a year, I think in 2002, 2003, work at Unlock Senior Services uh, for a year as one of their physicians and then I returned and then continued my, uh, uh, my tenure at uh, UCSF. Um, so anyway, that's the brief summary you know, of my background. Thank you. Um, so lastly, we have Dr. Mock. Well, hello everyone. Um, so it's always nice to talk to um, college students, um, because I used to be one of you um, many decades ago. Um, graduated from Cal. Um, I'm one year ahead of Dr. Yu. Um, in, I graduated in 1991 in molecular biology. Um, and I actually didn't think about med school. Um, I was in a pre-med um, in college. Um, I was always interested in doing research um, mostly bench, bench um, science research. Um, but I sort of got tired of doing that. So I decided to explore some other options and I thought maybe I should just give medicine a try. Um, so I volunteered at Mount Zion Hospital in San Francisco. Um, thought that it would be a nice fit for me because I, you know, I'm a true nerd. Um, I love the sciences. I even went to a Star Trek convention when I was in my teens. Um, <clears throat> so, it, so, I mean, anything science- That says a lot. <laughs> really about. And so I figured that <clears throat> medicine marries both science and 
the social aspects of life, really. Um, so I went to med school, um, went to Loyola Stritch School of Medicine in Chicago, um, went on to Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas for my internal medicine residency. And I came back to San Francisco and to practice um, as a hospitalist. Um, so I take care of patients who are admitted to the hospital with a stroke, with sepsis, with heart attacks, um, internal bleeding, um, anything that requires hospitalization. Um, I take care of um, that type of patients. And um, the past year, as you know, with COVID, um, I would say that every week I would have two or three COVID patients on my service. Um, so that was pretty in intense in a way. Um, but I enjoyed it. Um, I signed up for this job, so I wasn't going to run away from, from people that need my help. Um, a lot of my colleagues felt that way too. Um, even though COVID was an unknown to a lot of people, um, we didn't really know how to protect ourselves, but we just did our best. Um, <clears throat> I, I had some patients who did really well and went home. Um, I also had patients who didn't do well and, you know, didn't make it out, out of the hospital, but I truly enjoy what I do. Thank you so much. Um, so I guess we can start off basically um, asking about how, what is your day-to-day -day life? What does your schedule look like? What time do you wake up? Um, and uh, yeah, and how do you kind of balance that with a social or family life as well? And we can start with Dr. Yu. Um, I, I forgot to mention, I did my residency at uh, St. Mary's, so I spent a lot of time at Highland Hospital. So yay, <laughs> very much a wonderful place to train. Um, and I'm actually part of Alameda Health Systems now. I don't take call it Highland, but um, you know, it's, 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 it's almost the same population. So, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm not working in like Piedmont or Pack Heights or anything. So I, I've got people with like, that are quite ill. Um, so what's my day like, uh, I have a private office, so, um, I don't take time off because nobody pays me to not work. <laughs> That's the one thing about having your own practice. Um, it's like being a parent. Um, no one else is going to take care of your kids the same way you're going to take care of them. So, you know, it's my practice. Um, but I am going to Houston in a couple weeks because my daughter is at Rice University. Wow, this is a small world. Wow. <laughs> right next to but she's not a she's a she's a music performance major. Which at Rice, I don't know if you knew this, Kenny, but Rice is actually totally awesome. So she loves it there. Um, oh, where was I going? Oh, yeah. So I have to remind myself that I have to take care of me. Um, but I'm like, Kenny, I love what I do. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I had no idea how many people have bad feet with bad problems that are, you know, really life altering. I get like little kids with congenital deformities. I get working people that you know, are on their feet all day. I got a lot of nurses, uh, construction workers, and I got the uh, people that are diabetic and I'm saving their limbs. Um, I'm trying to keep them out of the hospital, but it's, you know, diabetic fit, right? Kenny, that's one of the biggest, you see plenty of those. So um, I'm in the hospital, I'm in the surgery center. 
I'm at a wound care center in Walnut Creek and I'm in my private office. So I'm in a lot of different places. And one thing I really like about that is I, I kind of have a low attention span. I, I made a career change. I, I like to do a lot of different things. So it's hard for me to give up one thing. So, you know, I'm in Walnut Creek, I'm in San Leandro, I'm at Eden Hospital and at a couple surgery centers. And um, yeah, so I, so podiatry is kind of like, um, I think unlike like dentistry or optometry, uh, those are generally office-based practices. Podiatry is probably, you know, for people interested in medicine, it's, um, it, it's, it's very similar to an MD in terms of like, you can do so much. You can do like, you can be in the office only, you can be in the hospital only, you can be in the emergency room, you can be in a surgery center. So um, that's kind of like, you can pick and choose what you want to do. But, uh, but I, I'm in an area where it's kind of, working class. So I feel, feel very good about what I do. I'm helping a lot of people that have real problems. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, so do you feel like since people, I guess a lot of people don't know about podiatry and like, obviously you said that they mix it up with a pediatrician all the time. Do you feel like, do you ever encounter any sort of like stigma around podiatry and like people like, Oh, she's like, Oh, oh like a, it's a foot doctor versus like, a regular doctor? Um, only the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I get a lot of questions. I get, um, I think the most common thing, I've been in academics. I was in, I had a career in academia before I went to podiatry school. And then when I changed, a lot of people say, why the foot? Why the foot? But then um, it's kind of who you're, who you're around. My, hus my husband's a lawyer. And when I chose to make a career change, it depends what you do for a living. I think people that are not in medicine are tend to be a little bit more open-minded. Like nobody that wasn't in healthcare, like people that are lawyers, business, I say I'm making a career change. They go, oh my God, congratulations. And then a lot of um, healthcare, education, and then um, doctors, why, why the foot? It's like, well, nobody asks, why, why gynecology? you know, or why, why urology or why GI? I mean, that's poop, you know? <laughs> so so I, I get that sometimes, but, um, I, I don't care anymore. You know, I, but I, it used to be kind of like, there used to be a status kind of a, like a, like a stratification, but, um, you know, it's, it's how you, I don't, I don't care. You know, I'm at the, I'm in the hospital, the internal medicine, the hospitals call me, I'm the, I'm the consultant. So I'm the surgeon. I bring a case to the surgery center. I'm the surgeon. So yeah, I, there's no, no, I don't see anything at all. So that's why, that's why it's great. I, I love, I love what I do. I'm in charge of my own thing and uh, I'm bringing something to the table when it comes to medicine and healthcare. Awesome. So what is your day-to-day -day like Dr. Ying? Well, I mean, I think uh, you know, when the kids were growing up, okay, when I had family, it was a little harder. So it's pretty, pretty much a few decades of five hours of sleep every night, get them at six, you know, drop them off at school, be in the office by seven, start seeing patients at eight, and work through lunch because never had uh, time to eat, work in the afternoon. I always try to make it a point to be home for dinner. Uh, with the kids, which, you know, sometimes, you know, fortunately has to be a little bit later. 
because that's very important. Because uh, one of the things that my wife had, her father is a, a physician and she always remember all the meals that he missed on birthday, her birthday that he missed. And so I said, I don't want to be that kind of father. And so I just try to make it a point to be home and have dinner with my kids. And so, you know, have dinner with the kids and then you know, get them washed up, help them the homework. And about nine o'clock at night, I start getting on the computer, finishing my work. Maybe around midnight or one, I just wash up, jump in bed and six o'clock, repeat, repeat cycle all over. Okay, so that's, and that's pretty much, you know, as interns, I'm not a surgeon, but, you know, I know the surgeons have long hours too. They can spend 12 hours in OR and they have the same responsibility. So their days are very, you know, very, very long too. And they, they have very little sleep. You know, as my you know, kids you know, went off to college, I had a little more time. And as I got a little older, you know, actually after 60, I found that, uh, you know, my cognition after midnight is just not as good as it was before. And because I have administrative responsibilities being you know, one of the medical directors and, you know, composing things to the faculty about changes and uh, whatnot, if you don't word it correctly, it just comes right back at you. And I just, I got to stop writing this stuff, and, you know, after midnight, just get some rest and just do it in the morning. And so, so, I, you know, made a point after I turned 60 to at least get six hours of sleep a night. So, um, so that's pretty much so, you know, like the life of, of, of a physician. I mean, it's, it's really a calling. Uh, you have to juggle your family. You know, you have kids. It's doable. You know, we know many of the uh, women surgeons at UCSF. They have kids and stuff, and they, they manage to do it. Um, and you just do it. And, you know, those of us, who, you remember our parents, you know, made very, you know like my parents, they're poor and a lot of immigrant parents. They may have you know, long jobs, low wages. Some have two jobs to make ends meet and yet they raise us you know hear them complain too much you don't know how they did it but they did it because you just have to and so that's that's how you juggle and balance your work life you just do what you need to do you know for the family for you know because the kids are always going to be your most important thing and you just need to do what you do got to do so yeah Uh, i love that i was just talking to my my mom today about my parents are both also immigrants so she was saying how she like had me and then three weeks later she had to go back to work because she owns her own nail salon and like no one pays you to not work right so um you have to and she was only one when they first started she was only one working there so she had to be there um so it is hard and makes you really grateful um so what's your day-to-day life mr uh mr I think I'm still in this tour. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> I have to say that, you know. You I'm earned so- the doctor title. I'm sorry. I have to use it. Oh, no, 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 it's cool. Um, I'm still in this tour. So Mr. Mock is not wrong. Um, so, but I have to say that I don't work as hard as Dr. Yu or Dr. Ng um, as a hospitalist. Um, I go in around 7.30 and I start rounding on my patients at 8.00. Um, and meeting with my interns, my resident, my medical students, we round between eight and eleven o'clock. Um, and then um, I break. We 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 sort of like separate, and I see the patients, make sure that they're telling me the, the right information. Um, I work with different consultants. Um, I work very closely with 
podiatry um, Dr. Yu. So um, I depend on the consultants like Dr. Yu to help me care for my patients. Um, and, you know, by the end of the day, I would say that I would be done by maybe 4 or 5 p.m. Um, and during that period, you know, I, you know, I check in with my team. I also do research on the side. I do, you know, we have meetings. Um, unlike Dr. Eng, I can leave and go home and actually go to a gym um, and then have dinner with my family. Run in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like I said, I don't work as hard as Dr. Yu and Dr. Eng. As a hospital medicine doctor, my hours are set. Um, the one, I guess, you know, for as a as a trade off, as a hospital medicine doctor, I do have to be in the hospital a lot. Um, I take all night calls. Um, I remember the days when my calls were thirty six hours long. We don't do that to ourselves anymore. Um, they are now maybe fourteen hours from six p.m. until eight a.m. the next day, um, and I have to work half the weekends. Um, every single month, and I've been doing that since, what, for the past 20 years, working half the weekends, and I do miss most of the holidays, um, so, you know, that, you know, we're talking about trade-offs here. Um, as a hospital medicine doctor, you know, I am the doctor of the house, um, and there, and patients, they don't take holidays, sickness doesn't take holidays, you know, they don't take time off at midnight. Um, people getting sick, they don't sleep like viruses and bacteria. They don't stop infecting people, harming people at midnight or on Christmas or New Year. So I, you know, so myself and my colleagues, we have to staff the, ho um, staff the, ho the hospitals pretty much 24-7. But do I enjoy my job? Yes, I do, because I do get to you know, go traveling. Um, we do get vacation time. Um, and I do get to see my parents um, pretty much every night if I want to. Um, note, if I want to. <laughs> Just, <laughs> now, my parents are elderly, and Dr. Eng was actually my father's physician for many, many years. So I. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we, I I have a lot of gratitude, um, and so does my family towards Dr. Eng. Um, my father is in; he's eighty nine because of all the care that he's that he's received. Um, you know, like what Dr. Eng and Dr. Yu were saying. You know, we we love our job um, when we and somehow we just make it work um, so that we can spend time with our family and have dinner with them and go and go on trips with them. So what would you say is like your bread and butter of your practice? Like, what do you, what is the most common procedure or common condition that you see um, um, on your day to day? I can name the top five, um, heart attacks, heart failure, strokes, internal hemorrhage of any sort. It could be intracranial hemorrhage or um, gastrointestinal hemorrhage. Um, we also have a pretty big surgical um service line in my hospital. Um, we are one of the major cardiovascular referral centers. So I take care of patients post-op cardiovascular surgery. We also have a pretty robust orthopedic podiatry service. We have residents, um, podiatry residents rotating through my hospital. Um, yeah, so surgical, surgical um, cases, 
um, perioperative medicine and just bread and butter medicine like emphysema, heart disease, lung disease, things like that. Nice. What about you, Dr. Yu? Um, when it comes to hospital, it's usually the diabetic foot infection. Um, you know, diabetic neuropathy is a big problem. So I'm sure Dr. Mock sees the people coming in the emergency room, their glucose is 500 and they stepped on a nail like five days ago. They had no idea that really does happen. <laughs> or they, they fell asleep in front of the heater because they have neuropathy and they're cold. And then, oh my God, their legs are full of blisters. Um, so in the hospital, it's typically diabetic foot wounds. Um, in my office, a lot of the routine, the bread and butter, you know, it, for some people, it's, it's, the, it's the nail care, diabetic foot care, um, but I get a lot of work injuries, ankle sprains, um, chronic ankle sprains, arthritis, um, and, and, then, and then I got a batch of kids. So yeah, you, your question is, what's my bread and butter? Um, yeah, I guess it's all of those. But I think for podiatry, if you work in a like kind of middle class, and when you get to more like um, uh, working class, the, the bread and butter is going to be diabetic foot care because that is what leads to the medical bills, hospitalizations, amputations, infections, sepsis, those kinds of things. But, um, but then I, I have the, the bread, like um, the not so acute stuff is things like um, orthotics, biomechanics, sports injuries, um, uh, bunions, hammer toes, things like that. Those are most of it. Awesome. Um, and for you, Dr. Ng? Um, uh, yeah, the majority of, my, of the patients in my panel are uh, Chinese-speaking patients. And I think that the, the diseases I have are really quite common. And they're the diseases that I try to take care of so they don't have to see. Dr. Mock in the hospital <laughs> <laughs> and for diabetes and uh, keep them away from Dr. Yeah. Yu who doesn't have to cut off the tumors. <laughs> okay. Well, they, they find a way, believe me. <laughs> and so basically hypertension, they're very common, you know, older Asians, right? Diabetes, unfortunately, very common. And, you know, for Asians, we don't have to be very overweight to get type 2 diabetes, body mass index of 23, and we're already pre-diabetic, so which is, you know, in my mind, really sucks because that rice and noodles we love, we just gotta, can't have yeah, that. And so, you know, I want to <laughs> control the diabetes, control, you know, their hypertension, because if not, then they get congestive heart failure, which you have to take care of, you know, coronary disease, kidney disease, very common, uh, unfortunately among, you know, the Asians, uh, older Asians. Uh, those are you know, the major ones, you know, the hyperlipidemia. Uh, then you have your sundry, you know, back pain, knee pain, arthritis as they get older, you know, just wear and tear arthritis that they end up taking care of, uh, trying to uh, have them be as functional as possible before they have to undergo a joint replacement, right? So there's a whole myriad of, of problems I try to take care of and keep under control because if they don't, if they don't if rather, if they don't take care of themselves and understand why they need to take these medicines forever and their blood pressures go up, diabetes poorly controlled, and they're going to be in the hospital being cared for by Kenny or seeing Dr. Yu, who <laughs> might have to cut off her toes because <laughs> right? of gangrene and, or, you know, end up on dialysis, end up with, you know, really severe heart, uh, heart failure. Uh, 
Emphysema is another common uh, disease among Asian men who tend to smoke, right? And uh, trying to get them to stop is, is you know, very hard, but I try all the time. Hepatitis B is another disease that's very common among Asians. And if you don't treat them, don't discover them, don't treat them, or at least keep the virus under uh, control, you have liver cancer. And so there are a lot of things that, at least as an outpatient internist, uh, they have my hands full trying to uh, keep everything under control and hopefully you know, let them have you know quality of life for as long as, 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 you know, as we can. And you know, most of the Asian patients, if they comply, they tend to have pretty good, good lives, pretty long lives. That's amazing. Um, so why did you choose your specific profession versus maybe different routes after you like or during you were in med while you were in med school and um, after med school? Uh, Dr. I'm sorry, you want me to start? Yes. Oh, uh, it's interesting because when I was in med school because I actually what I didn't mention before I actually was an auto mechanic too so. <laughs> I like working with my hands. <laughs> All right. And so I really like the surgery uh, subspecialties, and especially like orthopedics, uh, because, you know, like, yeah, Dr. Ma and Dr. Yu knows you, the orthopedic suite sounds like a garage with the saws, the drills, the, <laughs> the air tubes. They got their black and decker machines. Yeah. Right. See, so. Um, but at that time, when, you know, when I was a med student, you know, AIDS was starting to happen. And uh, at that time, there's no cure, right? And bloodborne surgeons get, you know, stuck. Some of them get infected. And not only that, the, you know, surgical residency, I started as an older student in surgical residency. It's about at least a minimum of six years. And I just didn't want to go through that, you know, long residency. Uh, and the other thing is that, gee, I want to risk my life, you know, being a surgeon, getting cut and getting, you know, uh, HIV. At that time, there's no, no, there's still no cure, but at least there's medicine to keep it under control. So those are factors, right? Then the other thing was that I happen to also like a lot of things about internal medicine, you know, hypertension, kidney disease, neurology. So I was one of those people who liked everything. And so I decided that maybe I'll just pursue, uh, something more general. So I thought about family practice, but that was too broad because you have OBGYN, deliver babies, you take care of kids, you know, and you have no pediatrics. And I said, I'm not that smart. <laughs> I can't handle all that. I don't so, that. <laughs> so I said, uh, I think internal medicine is, is probably, you know, what I want to do. And, and, you know, I, even though I don't get to like operate or use my hands in that way, it's, at least it's just, you know, at least cognitive, you know, cognitively, it's, it's interesting, it's challenging. And I'm also doing a, I feel like I'm doing my Chinese community, my patients a service because I teach them about the disease. I teach them uh, counter the fallacies and urban myths that they hear, you know, from their aunts and this and that, about all these things you can eat to cure your diabetes. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. And they can then go out and, talk to their aunts or their, you know, friends and stuff. And no, no, this is how you do this is how you do that. So it's in a way I, I feel good at that. I am uh, helping, you know, my community, giving back to the community. And so, and that is how I sort of end up choosing general internal medicine. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> I love trying to convince your grandparents or something like some 
that it's like not what they um what like some type of urban myth is um so what about you dr mock why did you choose your specialty all right so um like I said earlier, I'm a huge science geek, um, and I love pathways. When I was taking biochemistry at Cal, I just love pathways. I just love knowing how things work, and that's what internal medicine is. Um, pathophysiology was something that I was very interested in um, in med school. Like, why, why do diseases happen? You do not want me to cut anyone up, okay? And the reason is that... <laughs> I did really poorly in Woodshop. I got a C plus in Woodshop, okay? <laughs> and I got somebody to put together a TV stand for me in a parking lot outside of a Target store. So um, you don't want to be, you, you do not want me to, to mangle your foot, your heart, or your brain. Um, so I'm not very handy, like Dr. Yu and Dr. Not orthopedic surgery, especially. Okay, or a scalpel. Um, so I just love, I just love, I mean, what, you know how when you, in math class, um, when you have to, when you have to solve an equation, you sit there and you think about it. Um that's what that's how I see internal medicine. You have to think about why a patient has this particular particular illness. Um, so that's why I went to that's why I, I went into internal medicine and I chose hospital medicine um, instead of clinic medicine is that because I just love sick people. Um, I just love I mean, you know, it's, it sounds a little bit grotesque, but it really makes my heart pump when, I, when there's a patient that's coding, like, you know, there's a code blue and I have to run to it and I, have, and I have to think on the fly and, you know, what drugs to give, you know, things like that to revive someone's heart. Um, and that's why I like hospital medicine because of the acuity um, of what I see, of the cases that I see. Oh, that's so cool. You feel like you're um, making, you, you can see in a few days you made a big difference because they're alive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just the adrenaline rush, I guess. <laughs> um, it's like if you are going down a black diamond when you're skiing, like you're, you're afraid, but then once you do it, you just feel good about it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I think I was talking to another physician a couple weeks ago and he was like there's like two types of people there's people who just like to think about it and there's people who like like to be in action like they're really really sick people um which I I feel like I'm I'm the latter <laughs> um so what about you Dr. Yu what uh why did you choose podiatry um I, I was it's kind of interesting the panel here that you chose today, Christine, all of us did something before we went back to school. Um, so for me, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember now. So I was a programmer, right? So I've always been kind of left brain. And then um, I, I think I'm a good example of, you know, I didn't grow up to be a podiatrist. It just kind of found me. I was, I was, um, I was a programmer implementing the Epic software, the electronic medical record. And then I was, so I was in the operating room. So 
that alone was like totally awesome. I'd see like hearts, thyroids, feet, ankles, scopes, gallbladders. And it was like, you know, and I was just there to um, be a consultant for the software. So I got to see all this really cool stuff. And so, um, so that alone was like really exciting. And then, and then uh, I thought, do I really want to be a programmer the rest of my life? And then there was a school right around the corner and then I shadowed some podiatrists and I saw some of the surgeries they were doing. And then for me, um, I think it was more, there's a lot of podiatrists that don't do surgery and in the Kaiser system that have got surgical and non-surgical podiatrists, but it was really the surgery part that kind of led me. And the fact that it was um, very focused three years and it's, um, so I wasn't too concerned that I wasn't going to be treating people head to toe medicine, um, that it was going to be specialty. Uh, but I think that's one thing that drove me there because it was, it was focused. And then it was also right here around the corner <laughs> in, um, the schools in Oakland. Uh, and you know, it's kind of like, and then the, the panel that you chose today is really cool too. Dr. A and I, we do our best to keep people away from Dr. Mock, but we can only do so much. <laughs> so, and I think um, one thing that I kind of knew about podiatry going into it and I really enjoy, I can do anything from like a little wart or a little ingrown toenail to saving someone's limb because they've got um, a clot in their leg and they're about to have a heart attack and they're on dialysis. And, oh yeah, they've got lung cancer too. And that's why they, that's why they've got neuropathy, they're immune suppressed. They, and then they got an abscess in their foot. Um, so, you know, it's like, we're all working together and um, I think it's really cool that I get to be part of that. Yeah. So at what point in your, I love this question. I don't write all the questions, but this one's so funny. At what point in your career did you feel like I'm really good at what I do now? Like I'm really good at my job. <laughs> um, and I guess actually you can, you can start. Well, I'm probably the newest out of all of them because I just finished in 2014. So, so I'm what I'm in year seven of practice. And I think just now, you know, they say it takes, what is it? 10,000 hours to make you an expert. So 10,000 hours is five years. Um, I think I'm finally getting there. And it's kind of funny, like the questions you're asking me now, if you asked me this three years ago, my answers would have been totally different, but yeah, now, um, yeah, they can come in. I'm like, oh yeah, it's that. And I don't have to like review my surgeries anymore. And um, yeah, it's really cool. So I would say about five to six years, I start feeling like I know what I'm talking about, but I still, I, it's like, um, I feel confident about what I'm doing, but I know that I have a lot to learn, but I'm a lot more confident about learning that now. If I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, like how about you guys? <laughs> yeah, how about you guys? <laughs> what about you? <laughs> for a long time we're wondering <laughs> tell me what am I gonna be like a total expert <laughs> you want to start Kenny yeah I guess um you know am I comfortable with taking care of patients who come through the emergency room um yes I am um but do I know everything? No, I don't. I mean, medicine is always evolving. Um, there are always new drugs, new therapeutics for heart failure, for diabetes. Um, and if I go on vacation for too long, like if I take two weeks off, um, when I come back, I get, I get very anxious because I feel like, what if I forget about how to treat someone's 
pneumonia. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable doing what I do, but medicine is always evolving and you just have to keep learning. Yeah. Do you ever, um, I guess, okay, medical shows aren't accurate, but do you ever go back to your books if you like, um, like if something comes in where you don't, you don't, it's not really common. Do you ever go back to your books and like, oh, I need to freshen up on this before I treat this patient? Yeah, I do that often. Um, there are cases where you just couldn't figure out why this patient has liver failure and you, um, and you try to figure out, I mean, you know, it's, it's my job to figure out why, why my patient is sick. And if it's not one of those common diseases, then you just have to do research. Um, and you talk to your colleagues, you talk to consultants, um, and we just put our heads together. And sometimes we are successful. Sometimes we can figure, figure things out. Um, often, oftentimes we can, um, but there are cases where we just, we're still scratching our heads, when, you know, even when the patient leaves the hospital. So Christine, I mean, your question was, when do you feel like you're an expert, is that right? Yeah, at what point in your career, your training, did you feel like I'm really good at what I do now? Uh, Never. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Like, you know, Dr. Mock says, there's so much in medicine, there's no way you can know everything. You always learn no matter how many years. I mean, you know, at UC, you know, 20, 28 years or so. And there's always something new that, that, that I can learn from. You know, a new way of treating an old problem, maybe, or a new diagnosis that, you know, that I couldn't figure out. And I sent it to you to a, a specialist and, you know, they figure it out. And so there's just, yeah, the way I look at it is that you always have to uh, be cognizant that you cannot know everything and you always need to learn and don't become overconfident. In fact, I think one of the things in med school, one of the really senior and very famous uh, internists uh, had lectured, gave a lecture to us and says, you know, a good doctor has a little bit of insecurity all the time. Like, am I good enough? Or is what I'm doing good enough? that bit of insecurity drives them to really want to make sure that what they're doing is is to the best of their knowledge and doing the right thing and it pushes them so when you get to the point you think you know everything then actually you become dangerous so yeah exactly so so you always have to be humble and actually be willing to number one admit that you don't know something and also seek help when you get stuck and I think that was when, during my shadowing, when I was deciding when not to be a doctor, the, the doctor that I shadowed, and what impressed me was that he was honest and he was humble. You see patient, trying to figure out what's going on, patient said, gee, doctor, what's going on? He said, you know, I don't know, but I should come back in a week and you know, I'm going to find out. You know, I can't, you know, figure it out. I'm going to refer you to somebody who can figure this out. And so that kind of honesty, I think, builds trust in patients and it also helps you know, to me, it's just, you know, just being honest, just with the patient, with yourself, and it, it drives you, and that's the thing that always, at that time, you know, there were books, I mean, now there's something called up-to-date, which is, you know, the database that, that I use all the time, probably, you know, Kenny uses all the time, too, so, but he's always looking in the book, trying to figure things out, and, and to me, that's just, uh, that's inspiring to me, in terms of, uh, of the type of doctor he was. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere that the best doctors 
are not afraid to say that they don't know. And it's like really dangerous when you put up a front that you know everything and that's where patients get mad and they don't trust doctors as a whole anymore because um, you're so confident that you know everything. Um, let, me, let me give you an example. Um, you know, so with podiatry, you know, it seems like it's so limited because it's, it's one part of the body. Um, I have a patient now with, a fib- with this growth on her toe uh, it's a fibroma. It's benign. I've taken it out three times now. It keeps growing back. I want to send her somewhere because it's recurring, but it's not cancer. I don't know what to do with her. I don't want to keep doing surgery on her, but she wants, she doesn't want anyone to touch her except me. And I looked up with the literature. There's very little to no literature on recurrent fibromas. Um, so your question is, when do you become an expert? Never. And another, another example is um, a trimal fracture, like an ankle fracture where the fibula is high. There's a fracture that goes up the fibula. Very controversial. There's, if you look up five different articles, they'll say five different ways to treat it. Um, so there's always stuff to learn. And finally, last example, Achilles ruptures. What do you do with Achilles ruptures? There's lectures, there's conferences on, do you fix it? Do you not fix it? So um, no matter what specialty for the listeners that um, are listening to this, um, I, I think it's like what Dr. Ng was saying, and I feel like how I'm feeling, um, you become an expert when you realize you never will know everything. Because yeah. it's just okay. not possible. Um, so I guess switching gears to uh, COVID, since it's everything everyone has been affected by, how has the pe- pandemic affected your work? And we can start with Dr. Muck. Well, um, so back in March, when there's a surge of cases of COVID and we knew so little about it um, and we didn't want to use up our ICU um, for, th- for cases other than COVID, um, we decided to stop all elective, elective surgeries. Um, so as a result, um, you know, hospitals, and physicians lost money um, because elective surgeries was, they were, you know, they, they, they provided a constant stream of revenue for, for the healthcare providers and also the institutions that they work in. Um, so I would say that for surgeons, I don't know if it's true for Dr. Yu, but um, for a lot of our surgeons, um, they, were, you know, their cases were pretty low because they had so few surgeries. But for hospital medicine specialties like myself, um, we had a lot of patients who were hospitalized with COVID. Um, We actually had to recruit patients, I mean, colleagues from the clinic to help us out um, to round on those patients. In addition to patients coming in for heart failure, diabetes, emphysema, you know, things like that. Um, but we also have this um, huge caseload of people with COVID. And um, because we knew so little about it, we didn't want to inundate a particular provider with too many COVID patients. Um, because, you know, it takes time when you go in, you have to don it, you have to don your PPE, you have to make sure that you um, follow the, the proper protocol to protect yourself. And when you come out, you have to do the same thing. You have to do things in sequence so that you won't contaminate 
um, the unit when you step out of the rooms. Um, so I would say that for, for internal medicine, um, hospital-based medicine, I think we got hit pretty badly. Um, and you know we learned a lot of we we learned a lot from it from from how my how how our patients did. Um, new drugs came out. Uh, we knew what worked and what didn't work. Injecting yourself with bleach certainly is not a good idea. Um, we used to use um, Plaquenil um, initially for our COVID patients and. After three or four months of studies, we found that that medicine was, was not effective. Um, so the treatments for COVID evolved and the way that we um, take care of their res respiratory needs also evolved. Um, we tended not to intubate patients. We tried to keep them not intubated as long as possible. Um, you know, San Francisco, the city and county did a pretty good job in terms of keeping cases down. Um, so we had a slow period for a while um, after the initial surge. Um, you know, things are moving back to normal, I would say, for the past three or four months um, because cases are down. We are able to do elective surgeries and those surgeries are not quite elective. Um, I would say that those surgeries were delayed. And as a result, a lot of those patients ended up getting sicker. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's, you know, I, I mean, Dr. Yu and Dr. Ng, you can correct me, but I feel like most surgeries, um, they're not quite elective because sooner or later, you probably need to do them anyway. Um, you just end up operating on a sicker patient. So, so COVID, um, in a nutshell, it affected not only those patients who were infected with COVID, um, it also affected those who did not have COVID because their care was delayed. So Dr. Yu, do you wanna talk about how it affected your um, patient in surgery? Yeah, so there was a time when COVID hit, um, you know, like everyone, I didn't know what to do. So we called all of our elderly patients and told them to stay home. Um, so that's a good chunk of my practice. Um, I did have to, I didn't have to lay anyone off. Thank goodness. A lot of people had to lay their staff off, but I did have to reduce their hours. Um, and that went on for about three or four months. Uh, but my workload in the hospital actually uh, was about the same. I didn't have as many inpatients, but the inpatients I had were very, very sick. So I had some patients in there that were like for like three weeks a month because, um, and luckily none of them, only some of them were COVID. But um, so the, the way I pivoted, I guess because I'm private practice, I'm just, I'm just going to, I had to hustle. So um when the, when the hospitals called, I was there. So they said, oh, there's the sucker. So I was actually getting called quite a bit at the hospital because I take call at three hospitals. Um, so I think that's how I was able to sustain my practice. And then um, as things started opening up again, kind of like what Dr. Mock was saying, um, a lot of these elective cases were uh, delayed. Um, so as soon as the surgery centers and the hospital said, okay, you can do it. I, I was, I was quite busy with the elective surgeries, but, um, 
but it, it, it's bumpy because like April, May hospitals and surgery centers didn't know what to do with their protocol of like testing like to COVID, where do you get tested? Oh, there's not enough tests. Oh, the tests aren't ready. And this and that surgeries get delayed. So that was, um, that was, that was kind of crazy April, May, but then when I, I thought this was kind of interesting, did you guys, Don, Kenny, did you guys experience this when they, we had the shutdown in November and December when every hospital was full of COVID, um, people were, we were still doing elective cases. And I think the reason we did that is because there was a protocol in place of making sure that these people were COVID negative and we had a, a rhythm. Um, and the only, the only um, limitation we had was any elective case where there's a planned admission, we couldn't do. But planned elective surgeries where they're going home, we could still do during like November, December when COVID was really high because we wanted to save the hospital beds. Um, so, so I guess that, so the answer to the question is, um, it affected my practice in a way where I was taking more call and pivoting more towards inpatient because my outpatient practice kind of um, cooled down probably like 30, 40% in a few months. Um, so what about you, Dr. Ng? Did you kind of move towards, did you offer like telehealth or like virtual appointments to your patients as well? Right. Uh, yeah, I'm primarily uh, outpatient based because I no, no longer attend, you know, in hospitals because they all have, you know, they, most hospitals have hospitalists now, uh, like, you know, Dr. Mock. Uh, but, you know, those of us in internal medicine were on standby in case. Uh, we get swamped, uh, then we would then go in and do hospital care because part of the internal medicine training also involves ICU care. And so even though it's been in decades, you know, I still have some concept as opposed to, you know, say, a dermatologist, you know, you know, how to set event settings and this and that, and, you know, drips and whatnot. So, but, you know, thank God we never got there uh, prepared. But what did happen was that when everything was shut down, uh, we had to come up with a plan for, well, people get sick, but I mean, not from COVID, not maybe not sick enough to be in the hospital. And you can't direct them off to the ER. So our clinic had to develop a separate unit uh, located at, you know, separate portions of the hospital where everything, and there's, you know, limitations of PPE to this is short as PPE, right? And so we had, you know, uh, section office uh, 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 parts of clinics to handle COVID or potential COVID patients, you know, all the PPE and all the, you know, masking, distancing, you know, all the sanitization and everything, right? And then we would all uh, rotate, take turns to, you know, to staff those clinics. And uh, it's interesting enough, and it, 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 I guess good and bad, but there, we have quite a few junior faculty in my division and a few of them came up to me and said, no, Don, don't volunteer for this. <laughs> you know, I'm 60, you know, I was 65 and you know, you're at high risk. We'll take care of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, so the junior faculty didn't let me uh, <laughs> volunteer for those clinics. But nonetheless, we really actually had saw no patients you know, in terms of general internal medicine patients for at least three weeks. And I really got concerned about my elderly uh, Chinese speaking patients because you know they're, they have a lot of 80, 90, you know, a couple of hundred year olds and 
I'm going, you know, they were scheduled to see me and now they can't. And so I'm, what's going on? Are they stable? Uh, are they getting sick? And actually, I just started picking up the phone and started calling them, you know, checking in on them because, you know, there's no other way they're going to get care, right? In the meantime, uh, UC started, you know, to uh, implement telehealth, uh, which I think uh, is a godsend. And then uh, Medicare made an exception in the past. It's very difficult to get paid for, you know, a virtual visit. And they just made that exception that you, know, you see a patient virtually, they pay you the same thing. And so UC just quickly got on board with you know, getting the computers, getting the Zoom set up, everything. And I think what was uh, a pleasant surprise for me was that the families of my elderly patients who don't speak any English and obviously can't use a computer, or iPad or whatever, they stepped up, whether it's the, uh, the sons and daughters or the grandchildren, with, you know, they'll schedule a video appointment with me and boom, then, you know, there's a grandchild setting up the, you know, the iPad for grandma and then we can have her visit. And so I think that was really great that that family stepped up and I was able to continue care you know, for these frail, you know, at-risk elderly patients because I don't want them to go out and they don't want to go out. They're scared, you know, to death <laughs> to leave the house, right? And so I think that uh, that, that pivot... Uh, and the, the, the willingness of the families to step up, I think, really was positive in this. And nowadays, you know, even though things are loosening up, my elderly patients who are in wheelchairs or you know, having to use walkers, you know, in the past, they take the bus to come down here to see me, to come down to clinic to see me because they don't bother the children, you know, to take off work to drive them to the clinic. Nowadays, they like having, you know, virtual visits. They don't have to hassle with, with that. And a lot of internal medicine, if you are able to do a proper history, you don't need to really examine them. You could take care of a lot of things over, over on the phone, over the, the Zoom. Is that something that you hope would be in, like implemented permanently? Be, being able to like, um, like virtual appointments being considered a real appointment and like it, it'd be more accessible for people uh, or elderly patients? Uh, well, in terms of strategic planning, we know that not everybody's going to want to return to in-person visits. Mm -hmm. You think about it, you have to, you know, if you're working, you have to take time off from work, drive or take the transportation to the clinic, you're driving, you have to get parking, you have to pay for parking, you have to go in the waiting room, and, you know, the doctor may be running behind, and, and things can be taken care of, you know, just by Zoom, and that's way easier, and you could... Yeah, your desk and you say, oh, it's three o'clock on my appointment with, you know, with Dr. A. And I just, you know, stop work, go to someplace private and just, you know, pull out my smartphone and we just have the visit 20 minutes and I'm done and you go back to your desk and work, right? And, and for the elderly, like I said, they don't have to have the hassle of trying to get down to the clinic. You know, they just have their grandchild or their son or daughter just open up the Zoom uh, app and then they have a visit. So I think that there are going to be, we're predicting about 25% will probably remain uh, telehealth and maybe a third you know, we don't know yet but we're planning for that awesome thank you and i think i can speak for um everybody in amsa as well as the public that we appreciate all of the work that you guys have done as frontline um healthcare workers um so i guess i do want to be um, mindful of your time i know we're going a little bit over um so i just want to end with the last question um what is some advice you would give to pre-health students that want to pursue a career in healthcare and how to maybe avoid 
burnout because it is a very long path. Um, and we can start with Dr. Mock. Um, okay, so advice for for college students thinking about a career in healthcare. You really have to love what you do. Um, like I said, I was a late bloomer. I, I, you know, I didn't. I was not a pre-med at Cal until maybe a year or two later. Um, so you really, you know, you can't listen to what people tell you you should do in your, with your life. Um, you just have to discover for yourself if healthcare is something that you want to spend the rest of your life in. Um, and I think one of the questions that you sent over was work-life balance. Yeah. Um, I think there's a different, you know, you can think of work-life balance differently. Um, and the way that I embrace, quote, work-life balance is really work-life integration. I don't separate the two. Um, you know, when I have downtime, at, you know, like join commercials or something um, while watching my favorite sitcom, I just whip out my, you know, my work phone and see if there are any new emails. And then I just delete or answer or provide a quick response. That's how I integrate work into my, into my life. Um, I don't say, okay, well, it's 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. I'm not going to look at my work email. I'm not going to do anything that's work-related um, because that doesn't work for me um, because that's too rigid. Um, I like some flexibility in how I, um, how I answer my emails, my work emails. And even at work, you know, I'm not going to say, well, this is my work hours. I'm not going to check my personal emails, Okay. I, I integrate my personal life with work. You know, I call up my plumber at, you know, in the middle of rounds or between rounds and say, hey, can you come in, you know, fix my kitchen sink? Um, so work-life balance doesn't really work for me. I, I need flexibility and that's why I believe in work-life integration. Wow, I've never actually heard that. I think people are always like, oh, just make time. And, you know, um, but that's actually really interesting. Um, uh, Dr. Yu, do you want to go? Uh, what advice would I give? Um, kind of like what Dr. Mark was saying, you know, you got to ask yourself, who, why do I want to, do I want to be a doctor? And why do I want, do I want to be a doctor? Or does my mom and dad want me to be a doctor? You know, it's, this is not something that uh, th this is your life. Uh, once you grow up, you're out of the house. It's totally on you. And um, I think as you can see from the panel here, all three of us chose it a few years after college. So it'll be there. So, um, you know, if you're like totally stressed out about it now and you're junior or senior college, you, you know, it'll, it'll still be there. And if you want to try something else, that's good too. Um, I think the way I did it, um, I'm very thankful because I got a chance to have a different career. So I know what it's like to be doing something different. Um, so I'm kind of grateful for the really weird path that I took. So, um, and, and now, now I have a practice. I didn't think I'd be a practice owner, but I am. And you just kind of got to roll with it. Kind of like what Kenny was saying. Um, you just, you just do it. Don't, you know, it's kind of like, um, I guess, like a sports analogy or music analogy. If you think too much, you'll never get anything done. Just just do it. <laughs> That's my parting words. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what about you, Dr. Ng? 
Well, let's see. I mean, I guess just sort of, you know, there's a bit of background. I mean, I've been on the admissions committee for UCSF for medical school for about 15, 17 years and kind of stopped a few years ago. And so you get to see a lot of applicants. And I think for, you know, my advice to undergrads, you know, right now is that you think, okay, you can go through, you know, your four years and then you'll work really hard and you hope to get in med school after you graduate. And so, you know, the average age of the incoming class is about 25 plus or minus changes every year. And most uh, of the students have done other things. Okay. Um, and they, they're not, a lot of them are not, say, bioscience majors, health sciences majors, you know, business majors, music majors, or musicians, and history majors, anthropology, whatnot, right? And so I think that you, if you think you may be interested in the health sciences field, that's fine. But while you're in school, pursue your passion, whatever it is. You broaden yourself, right? Let's say if you enter college, if you're at you know, Cal, and uh, maybe you have, you have a great maybe history program. That's okay. Be a history major. You could always, you know, on the side, take, take all the biosciences that you want. But if that's your passion, pursue your passion because that's, number one, if you're passionate about something, you invest your energy and your grades are going to be great. Okay. If you're not so passionate about it, it's, it's a struggle to get good grades. Right. And number two, don't be cutthroat. Okay. Don't be always worried about the grade and by getting an A. E minus, you know, Asian F, right? You know, don't, don't think like <laughs> that, right? <laughs> you know, you go to class, try to learn something. What did I learn today? Okay. So, because focus on learning. You know, when you're a med student or you're, you know, rotating in clinic and you're I don't care what grade you got. I don't care how many articles you can cite me or, you know, all your, you know, theories about this and that. Yeah, if you don't get the diagnosis right, you got to have common sense, get the diagnosis right. You got to care enough about the patient to get the diagnosis right. Then you can talk about all the various treatment you know, options, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is you need to, if you're thinking about medicine, you need to shadow somebody, volunteer in a clinic or a health system. And I don't mean like checking off the box, what we on the missions committee, like check off the box, three months research, three months ER, three months, you know, with Cloud Candy Strike at a hospital, three months, you know, there's, there's just checking off the boxes. Yeah, if you want to do something, commit to it. You want to help out at the, uh, I think uh, Berkeley is a free clinic, I think there's a suitcase clinic, I think it's yeah. anyway. You know, don't do that just three months, you know, do for six, eight, whatever a year, right, at least. You know, show commitment because who wants... If you're going to become a healthcare provider, especially a doctor, you've got to have heart. Your heart has to be in it. You have to care about people. You have to care about the patient. Right? You don't want a doctor that doesn't care about you. Right? You want somebody who really cares uh, about the patient's welfare, is willing to invest the time, the energy, to make sure that they're doing the best they can for the patient. And that chews up a lot of your workday. And you know, medicine is a calling. Okay. And there's a, a very uh, well-known senior uh, gastroenterologist at UCSF when, you know, his GI fellows complain about something. He goes, you know, if you don't like the amount of work I'm asking you to do, then you check the wrong box. And I always like that saying, you check the wrong box. <laughs> you check the box, become a doctor, you better be damn sure you better carry out the work. Because <laughs> it's not a nine-to-five job because your responsibility is to the patient's 
it's your job you have to make sure that you know that they get well or at least you do the best you can to get them well and so those are the things that a student needs to think about right and if you know along with the uh volunteering and whatnot you get inspired and you want to do that that's great because then you will be a good doctor but don't do it for money don't do it because your parents want you to and i've interviewed students who when i ask them why do you want to be a doctor what drives you well my parents think I, <laughs> you know, oh, why do you want and they can't answer me so needless to say you know they're not going to use this stuff right and That's so, the wrong answer. Right. <laughs> For everybody out there, don't say that. <laughs> and, you know, it's got to come from, we can tell, we interview, you know, we're not stupid, you know, right? <laughs> you can tell when a, when a student is really sincere and they, 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 we ask them about what experience really touched you and they could come up with something. It's all varied, you know, they're all touched by different things. That, and you can tell when they're driven by something that, that they witnessed, that they experienced, and they're really motivated with them, right? And, and so really broaden your horizon. Don't be, if you're, you know, science major, that's okay, but don't be just purely science. All your classes are biochemistry and the only thing you do is do a little bit of lab here, do a little bit of lab, lab there. Because I've seen, I've reviewed UC Berkeley student files of 4.0, MCATs are really high and it's okay. What's your extracurricular activity? What do they show me, you know, that they've done that shows that they, Really care about people and want to contribute to to society in that way. If I don't see that, yeah, you know, their file doesn't go on. So, so really, just just enrich yourself, pursue your passions, but you, you challenge yourself because you grow from challenges, right? So you know the old saying, you know, but <clears throat> what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So you know, <laughs> so step out to the challenges. I, I guess I, I I can't help. I want to just chime in one more thing. You know, I have a daughter that's at Rice, and then I have another daughter who's going to be like going through college admissions. So, you know, and now I'm talking to college students that are interested in graduate programs. Um, I, I think we just have to remember, you know, Cal you guys are Cal students. I mean, everything has been perfect up until now. And you have to understand that there are medical schools everywhere in the country. Every state has a medical school. There's every, you know, there's dental schools, there's optometry, there's podiatry, there's nursing, there's physical therapy. There's a lot of careers where you can be totally successful and you can be totally happy. And, um, and that's one thing about, um, I don't think we get enough uh, reminding of that as an undergrad that you think you have to go to these five schools to be happy and it's just it's just not like that and um, I want I want all the listeners to remember that <laughs> yeah I can definitely relate to that um, and also just like there's not just medicine by itself also and that's why I'm really um, glad that Dr. Yu is here as well to kind of show us the other routes that we can also take that is not just going to medical school or you know and still being in the healthcare field um well the healthcare is so big it's not i mean there's research and that's a huge that's a whole industry in itself yeah well thank you guys so much for coming on and speaking with me and so the listeners can hear um and thank you all right well, I thanks christine good okay, luck to bye. you <laughs>